Today's scripture passage um, is actually Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 through 23. The words are correct in your bulletin, if you would follow along with me. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord that is absolutely true and is given to us in love. Good morning. Whoa. As we've mentioned over the last several months, our vision here at Hope Chapel is to be a gospel community that seeks the flourishing of our city. It's our hope that God will use our congregation to bring about spiritual, social, and cultural renewal in Greensboro and beyond. And in order to help us flesh out our vision, we have been studying Paul's letter to the Philippians. Paul and Silas planted the church in Philippi in 50 AD. And then over the next 10 years, though separated from one another, Paul and the Philippians developed a deep love and partnership in the gospel. So as you might imagine, when news of Paul being arrested and placed on death row in Rome reached the Philippians, they were so concerned that they sent Epaphroditus, one of their own, to Rome. 
with a financial gift to help care for Paul. And then Paul, in turn, pens this letter to express thanks for their generous gift and to encourage them to persevere in the growth of the kingdom. We see this in chapter 1, verse 3, as Paul writes, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And we hear his call to persevere in chapter 4, verse 1, as he writes, Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. And this morning we come to the end of our vision series and the end of Paul's letter. And as I thought about this all week, I couldn't help but just imagine Paul in shackles in this little cell sitting down at his desk with his pen in hand, knowing full well that the next words would be the last words that he would ever be able to communicate to his beloved Philippians. And I'm sure as he was sitting there, he was wrestling with and praying, God, what should I say? What should the last things be said to these who walked with me all these years? And as his heart was heavy, I'm sure he remembered Lydia, the first person in Philippi to profess faith in Christ. He remembered the prison guard and his family who received the good news. He probably thought of all the meals they had shared proclaiming the good news. And then he put the pen to paper and he focused on what's eternal. People and God. And so as we look at chapter 4, verses 2 through 23, we're going to look at three things this morning. First, we're going to look at our relationships with one another inside the church. Secondly, we're going to look at our relationships with others outside the church. And then thirdly, Paul directs us to look at our relationship with God. Let me pray for us. Father, we're grateful this morning for your word. Lord, you promised that it won't go out and come back void. And so we pray this morning, Holy Spirit, that you'd have your way with our hearts and our minds. Lord, there's some here this morning and their hearts are full and they're joyful and we're grateful for that. There's others here this morning that their hearts are broken. We would ask that you come and gently in your loving, healing way, begin to put their hearts back together. There are others here this morning that are doubting your existence. They don't even know if you're real. Would you show yourself to them this morning? We need you to come and meet us, both corporately and individually. And so we ask, Father, would you do that? And we pray this in the name of Jesus. <clears throat> Amen. So, If you have your bulletin, <clears throat> you can open those or your Bibles to chapter 4. <clears throat> and the first thing that we're going to look at is our relationships with one another inside the church. Now, often when we're thinking about bringing spiritual and social and cultural renewal to our city, we immediately focus on our relationships with our neighbors, our co-workers, our classmates. 
And while we'll be looking at these relationships in a moment, Paul first turns our attention to the love and unity inside the body of Christ. Because it too plays a huge part in the growth of the kingdom of God. Jesus says in John 13, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. See, our love for one another is a visible sign to a watching world that Jesus Christ is alive and that his kingdom is at hand. And so when Paul hears of a conflict in the church in Philippi between two members that is threatening the love and unity of the church, he speaks to it. Look in verses 2 and 3. He says, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. You see, because our love for one another is so important in proclaiming the gospel, Paul not only calls these women to reconcile, he gives us a blueprint for how we as a church are to deal with conflict. First, Paul reminds us that in any conflict, both parties need to take responsibility and need to take action to reconcile with the other. As sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, our natural tendency when it comes to conflict is to blame and to avoid. We are quick to think that we are right and the other person is wrong. And that the other person needs to come to us in order to reconcile. But what we see in verse 2, he uses the same verb twice to entreat, or some translations say to urge, To say to the women, you both are culpable for what has happened. And you both need to take action to bring about healing and restoration. And then similarly, if we are going to be a church that moves through conflict with one another well, we need to ask God to show us our part, no matter how great or small, That part is in that conflict. And we need to not avoid the conflict, but instead we need to step into it and move toward one another. And so Paul first encourages the women and us to take responsibility for our part of the conflict and to move toward the other. Secondly, Paul teaches us that sometimes in order to resolve conflict conflict between two individuals, we need to invite others in to help. Look at verse 3. He not only addresses Yodia and Syntyche, he also asks his true companion, which is a reference to Epaphroditus, to help these women resolve their differences so that they and the church might be united. Now, I know some of you Bible scholars are out there thinking, but what about Matthew 18, right? Matthew 18 says if someone has sinned against you, You need to go by yourself to that person and 
talk through it, confront them, seek repentance, reconciliation, and healing. Why here is Paul jumping over that step and encouraging Epaphroditus to get involved? Well, we know that Paul knew that passage in Matthew 18. He had spent three years studying. He understood that they needed to first move toward one another. And so the best thing that we can understand about this passage is that Euodia and Syntyche had already tried that. They had already tried to move toward one another. And yet there still was no reconciliation. There was no healing. And so what does he do? He says, you guys need help. You are stuck. You know, I I meet with couples often in counseling. And I see time and time again they come in. And they begin to talk about a conflict. And you have one spouse that has his dance. And you have another spouse that does their dance. And they kind of go at each other. And there's no reconciliation. There's no healing. They just get stuck. And thankfully, they've come into my office and they've asked for help. And that's part of the joy of of being able to be a pastor and a counselor is to help people get unstuck. But for us as a congregation, if we're going to move through conflict well... We need to be willing not only to first go to that individual, but secondly, when we are stuck, to ask others for help. And that's exactly what Paul is encouraging in this passage. And so we see if we're going to move through conflict, we need to take responsibility for our part. We need to act and we need to ask for help. But thirdly, Paul says you need to remember, and I think this is the most important thing when it comes to conflict between two individuals, you need to remember that you are on the same team. I know you might hear this and think that sounds so trite, Todd. But again, to be honest, what I have found as I've met with people over these last 30 years, this is probably the most consequential step To help two individuals or parties move toward healing. So often in the midst of conflict, you're so hurt by the other that you forget who they are. You forget who you are. It's so easy to look at that other person as the enemy. It's easy to see them only through the lens of your hurt and pain. But the beautiful thing about this passage, if you look at verse 3... Paul reminds Euodia and Syntyche who they are and that they're on the same team. Paul writes, remember that you are partners in the gospel ministry. Both of you, along with Clement and so many others in Philippi, have labored side by side with me to grow God's kingdom in Philippi. Yes, you have wronged one another. And yes, it's been painful. But remember, you both want the same things you both want to see God's name glorified you both want to see God's kingdom expand and you both are God's beloved children with your names written in the book of life 
you are sisters in Christ. And your faith in Christ is the tie that binds you. And as we begin, as we're in conflict with one another, as we begin to think of the bigger picture, as we begin to understand that we're working side by side to grow his kingdom, and that we're all designed for dignity, and that we are God's beloved, then it helps to melt our hearts, to move us to repentance, to help us to take responsibility for our sin, to move toward the other, and to bring healing and reconciliation so that the body of Christ might be unified and so that a watching world might look at us and say, that church handles conflict differently. They don't avoid it. They don't blame one another. But instead, they work through it. And Paul knew full well he had conflict with Peter. He had conflict with all the churches. He knew You know, in this passage, he doesn't chastise them for being in conflict. He knew that this side of heaven, they would be in conflict because of the influence of sin. And likewise, for us as a church, we are going to struggle. We are going to offend one another. We are going to be in conflict. But if we want to see this vision continue to grow and us bring about renewal, In this city, we need to learn to walk through conflict in a biblical way. To take responsibility, to act, to repent, and yes, to humble ourselves and ask others to come in and help. And so, in this passage, one of the last things that Paul writes to the Philippians is about their relationship, their love for one another. And then secondly, he turns and challenges them to think about their relationships with others outside of the church. If you look in verses 4 through 9, Paul echoes a call to holiness that he made in chapter 1. Paul says, as we interact with our neighbors... We need to clothe ourselves with joy in the peace of God. We need to let our reasonableness, which literally means our calmness under pressure, be known to everyone. And finally, having been found in Christ, we are to be truthful, honorable, just, pure, loving, and excellent in our everyday lives with our classmates, our co-workers, and our neighbors. You know, we live in a society where pragmatism overshadows character. We see this in our political leaders on both sides of the aisle. While they do good things for us as their constituents, they throw character right out of the door. And Paul here is saying to the church, it's not just about making meals for our neighbors. It's not just about delivering food for the shut-ins. It is the manner in which we do it that will cause the gospel to be contagious. When I was a, a, young, a young pup, a uh, young guy, not a puppy. When I was a young guy, I didn't know Christ. And in sixth grade, I went to Skateland, USA. 
And I would skate, and I was wild. I was smoking pot. I was cussing. I was doing anything I could do with girls. And I met this girl by the name of Mitzi Delancey. And Mitzi had something different about her. There was a joy about her. And I soon found out that she had professed faith in Christ. And Mitzi was kind to me. You know, she would buy me a Coke because I didn't have much money back then. She would kind of buy me food. She would do nice things. But those nice things weren't really what made a difference to me. What made a difference to me was the manner in which Mitzi interacted, not just with me, but with all those who came through the door at Skateland USA. Mitzi was different. She didn't cuss like I did. She didn't party like I did. She treated people with respect and dignity. She had integrity. When I would tell her a dirty joke, which I often tried to do to provoke her, she didn't laugh. She didn't gossip behind the other girls' backs, which I often saw with the other women. Her character was different. And that was appealing to me. Because I knew that she couldn't carry that out over weeks and months on her own. I knew that when she talked about her relationship with Jesus, that it really must make a difference in her life. I believe that Paul likewise is saying to us this morning, how you live your life matters. And to be honest, one of my concerns for our church is because we emphasize grace here so much, and we emphasize engaging the culture so much, sometimes I believe the word holiness here at Hope Chapel is frowned upon. But Jesus says to us, be holy as he is holy. Be perfect as he is perfect. And Paul in these verses is saying, if we want to bring renewal in our city and beyond, our character matters. We need to look different than our neighbors. And if our neighbors are cussing like sailors, then maybe we need to clean up our language. If our neighbors are getting drunk, maybe we need to cut back on our alcohol. If our neighbors are having sex with whomever outside of marriage, then maybe we need to choose to not do that. And if our neighbors are talking behind others' backs, or our coworkers or classmates, maybe we need to not gossip or slander. Your character and my character matters. And yes, we want to love and we want to engage. There's nothing wrong with going down to Joymongers and having a beer. But try going down there and not having a beer and see if it makes a difference at all. You might be surprised. Somebody might ask you, why, why aren't you having a beer today? And you can tell them, you know, I was just trying this experiment. I wanted to look different. Now, you can engage them in conversation because I'm telling you, I wasn't a believer and it made a difference in my life. And I don't think I'm alone. And that's why I think Paul focuses so much attention. But one of the last things that he wants to say to the Philippians it's your actions matter. Your character matters. How you live, the manner of life that you live among your neighbors, your classmates, and your coworkers matters. And so I wonder this morning, 
Are we letting our reasonableness be known to everyone? Are our lives marked with joy, peace, and integrity? Are our actions different from those around us? Are we as a church body known throughout the city, not for being sanctimonious, but for being men and women and children of character? Paul says, if this is so, then the kingdom of God will grow. And so as we look at this last chapter of Paul's letter, he turns our attention first to our relationships with one another and calls for unity. Secondly, he turns our attention to our relationships outside the church and he calls us to be holy as he is is holy. And then thirdly, he addresses our relationship with God. In verses 10 through 23, Paul ends his letter focusing on the most important relationship that we are called to be in. And that is our relationship with God. If you notice in verse 10, Paul, though full of thanksgiving, I'm sure, toward the Philippians for the gift they had given him, doesn't thank the Philippians. Instead, he thanks the Lord. He says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. Paul knows that it is God who provides for us. Paul understood that it was God who moved in the Philippians to send Epaphroditus to them, to him, to bring a gift. And yes, he's grateful for the generosity, but he knows that that generosity has been brought about by God. And then in verse 13, one of my favorite verses And one of the first verses I memorized as a young believer at 16. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul is saying our power to live this life of holiness. To move through conflict. To love one another and to love our neighbors. Does not come from ourselves. It comes from Jesus Christ who lives in me. And then in verse 19 he says... And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Left to ourselves, we cannot love each other and love our neighbors. Left to ourselves, we cannot build God's kingdom. But the good news of the gospel and the last thing that Paul wants to leave with his beloved Philippians is that their lives are hidden in Christ and the Holy Spirit dwells in them. Therefore, whatever the situation they find themselves in, be that in plenty or in want, whether they are brought high or low, the creator of the universe dwells in them and they in him and he has given them and us everything we need for life and godliness. Therefore we can say that we are content. And so Paul says. Dear brothers and sisters. Rest in Jesus Christ. Rejoice in Jesus Christ. Glory in Jesus Christ. It is through. In and by our relationship. With God. That we bring renewal. And restoration. To our city. And beyond. And so if you're here this morning 
and you don't have a relationship with God, maybe this morning the Holy Spirit wants to capture your heart and bring you to himself. And if you're here this morning and you've been walking with God, but maybe your heart has grown cold and callous to him. Maybe you've worshipped other people or work or a plethora of other things, but not God. Maybe this morning the Holy Spirit is calling you back to himself and melting your heart so that you might receive his love and so that you might love him. I remember when I went on staff with InterVarsity, my first year, I trained in Virginia at William & Mary. And my area director, Tom Oster, godly man, he told me this story. He said that he was at Urbana. Urbana is a huge missions conference that InterVarsity does every three years. And there's about 20,000 students that come. And on the final night of Urbana, what happens is all 20,000 people gathered in the arena take communion. And Tom was in charge of getting all of those logistics together. I mean, you think about what we have here with our eight trays and four um, bread plates. That's, that's a lot to do in the mornings, but to, can you multiply that times 20,000? And so he had been working on this all week long, preparing, making sure all the logistics, making sure everybody had their, their spots, their trays, their cups, all that. And so... It happens right before midnight, you, you take communion. And so he's running around the arena, and you have the little kind of tunnels that go in. And he notices, as he's running around, he has an assistant with him, there's a, a young woman, and she's crying. And he looks at that young woman, and he looks at his assistant. He knows all the tasks that need to be done. And he hands his assistant his papers And said, you've got this. And he goes and he sits down next to that young woman. And puts his arm around her. And loves her and prays for her and cares for her. And he looked me in the face. And he said, Todd, don't you ever forget that ministry is people. Ministry is relationship with people. God has given us this great building. We've got great programs here. The structures are in place. But if we're going to bring about renewal, spiritually, socially, and culturally, in this city, the most important thing for us to remember is that ministry is people. And he is giving us the privilege to love our neighbors. To love our classmates, to love our co-workers, to love and care for one another, and to be loved by the God of this universe. And so that's my hope in 2019, is that we are about God and our relationship with Him, and we are about building relationship with people. And if we are and if we do, God will show up and revival and renewal will take place amongst us and in the city. Amen.